What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 30. Bet Parks presents Stick to Hockey Live. We've got ourselves a new mic cable. We've got ourselves some new earbuds. We've got ourselves a working webcam that I didn't step on. We've got ourselves Anthony DeMarco from thefourthperiod.com coming up. And tons to get to on another brand new edition of Bet Parks presents Stick to Hockey Live. Brought to you by... Bet Parks, the greatest mobile casino and sports book you are going to find. So make sure you get it. Take it from me. It's everything you want in a mobile casino and sports book. We'll have the Broad Street Boost tonight. Keep an eye on my social media. We'll let you know what that is and what's going to what the deal's going to be tonight. Flyers in the midst of this four-game road trip, which has been frustrating. We'll talk about that. Two OT losses, a one-goal loss against Colorado. They'll wrap it up tomorrow in Jersey against the Devils. But get the Bet Parks app because you can get all your action in on everything hockey. First to score, player performances, over-unders on ports, on points in games, same game parlays, power play points, live in-game betting. It's all there. It's all there for football, too, college and pro. It's all there for hoops, college and pro, World Cup, Argentina in the final with Messi. So get your action in on the Bet Parks app. You're not going to regret it. And if it's going on in the world of sport and sometimes even beyond, you can bet it with the Bet Parks app. Right now, all Bet Parks users can use the promo code Jason750, Jason750. That'll get your risk free bet up to $750. Uh, terms and conditions do apply. So make sure you download the Bet Parks app today. Do need to be over 21 in President, Pennsylvania, or New Jersey. Gambling problem call 1 800 Gambler. Also, December is a fantastic time to head down and see my friends at Concordville Subaru. Now, you guys know I've been with Concordville for so long. Uh, not only as an endorser and somebody that talks about him on the radio for many, many years, 10 years now, but also somebody who bought my first car there. And the whole thing, this whole ad campaign took off with Concordville when I said, I guess it was eight and a half years ago, that not only did I buy my first car there, but my son's going to buy his first car there too. And when I was on with Mikey Mist, uh, doing the show with Mike Missinelli, Mike said, your kid's eight. You're talking about buying his first car already? Well, kid not eight anymore. Two days from now, Evan, my son, only son, is going to be 16. Can you believe it? And he'll be at Conquerville Subaru, checking out the certified pre-owned inventory, checking out the list of incoming Subaru vehicles, fantastic dealership, great service department where you get a free car wash with every visit. And it's a great time to go there, not only because it's a beautiful place and great people, but because the Subaru Share the Love event is still going on through January 3rd. This is where Subaru is going to donate $250 for every new car sold to one of five charities. And you get to choose the charity, either ASPCA, Make-A-Wish, Meals on Wheels, Nations Parks, or Conquerville Subaru's hometown charity, which is a, a great one as well. The Namor's Children's Hospital of Delaware. I cannot think of a better charity to donate to the Namor's Children's Hospital of Delaware, especially this time of year. So December, great time, like I said, to visit the beautiful showroom of Route 202 in Glen Mills. And it's more than a dealership, great service department, free car wash with every visit. It's a one-stop shop. You'll be so pleased with the people, the products, and everything else. So visit ConquervilleSubaru.com. Get all the deets there. And uh, check out the showroom over at 202 in Glen Mills. And remember that Concordville cares. Tons to get to on this episode of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. So let's get right to him, right to the business right now from the fourthperiod.com. He comes to us from north of the border in Montreal. It is Anthony DeMarco. Looks like you got a fresh first day of school cut there, brother. Yeah, man. I had to, a good day. 
Yeah, I had to cut the salad. The mop was getting way too uh, way too messy for me. You know, waking up in the morning, had to take a shower every single morning, or else I could not fix my hair in a reasonable fashion. So, uh, oh, yeah, right before mess, right? Oh, dude, it was a disaster. But uh, yeah, we got the fresh cut, ready for the holiday season, and uh, ready to look good on this show. I'll tell you what, it's one I've talked about this before with uh, Harry on my IG's podcast. I miss going to the the barber shop or the salon or whatever to get my hair cut. Like it's been so long. I've been shaving my head for almost 30 years. Right. Cause I started losing the, losing the follicles. I figured I just look better. I, I'm lucky. I got a good head for a bald head and it looks good with the beard. At least I think so. <laughs> don't. But I miss going to the barber shop and having, you know, the cutie washing your hair in, in the sink and doing the whole thing. I take my son to get his and I'm like, you lucky. Enjoy this dude. <laughs> it's it's a bit of an experience, right? Like it's almost like nostalgic in a lot of ways. Like going to the classic barber shop and like you know the the old ones that like you still have to pay cash. They don't take debit or visa. Like I don't know. I I really like the experience. Like my mom cuts hair too, but I almost like the experience of going to the barber. Yeah, it's cool because you go in looking one way and you come out looking at it. it's it's why I like cleaning the house because it's instant gratification. You go in looking like shaggy and you come out <laughs> like a well coiffed, you know professional exactly exactly but uh i mean look you gotta look good for the holidays right you can't show up to christmas dinner looking like a hot bag of shit so i yeah. mean i always do i'm always like disheveled looking but that that's part of my charm um, <laughs> did you make it through the whole thing last night like last night was a nine o'clock start not bad like i don't mind the nine the tens and ten thirties get a little rough i have to do the podcast after i won't get to the get to the rack to sleep until like 2 30 or 3 on those but last night was palatable after another tough loss. Yeah, well, you know, when they wrap up before midnight hour time, it's not too, too bad. But like you said, like, they played hard. And, like, they had a, like, they played a good hockey game. And, you know, I think Cam York has really injected some life into that team for sure. Totally agree. But, I mean, it's just another case of a team playing their ass off, dominating a lot of the five-on-five play for much of that game. But just not having the talent to cash in in the end. And yeah. I think that's what we saw last night is just a team that is playing good structured hockey. You're seeing a foundation really, really built here. But I know it sounds like Groundhog Day, but they just don't have the top end, uh, top end talent. And I think that eventually you're going to have to find that. Obviously, you can't find that in season. It's as Chuck Fletcher has said, as Danny Briere has said, that's where you have to find it in the draft. But, I mean, the foundation for a good, hardworking team that is good at the fundamentals is starting to grow here. And, you know, I said it on Twitter last night that, you know, you still get people who are just like, oh, it's time to take out the paper bags and this, that. And, you know, take whatever your feelings are about the front office away from it. And I can't hate this team. I really have a hard time rooting against this team, specifically because of how hard they're working under John Tortorella. Yeah, to me... You know, the last couple of years in the paper bag thing, like I get it because it, it got embarrassing, not only from a result standpoint, but from a process standpoint, like how many, how many times do we see those Twitter memes of screenshots of the game where five fire forwards are high on the left wall in the D zone and the opposition's got two players all alone in front, right? Just totally over pursuing plays. And look, we may get to that point because I think it's hard Ant. Like, I've been impressed with the the fact that this team hasn't fallen apart and just thrown in an absolute dog shit clunker. Because when you keep getting these results, 
you're going to have that moment of being a human to say, you know, fuck it. You know, we, this is, and you're just going to suck one game, but they haven't done that. You go to Vegas, you lose in overtime two to one, by the way, too many fucking guys on the ice on that one too. I don't know if you saw that and they didn't call it. I guess they're never going to call that torch has got to start throwing an extra guy out there quicker and preferably a forward, not two D. Yeah. Uh, and then in Arizona, you know, you lose again in overtime. They dominate both of those overtimes from a possession standpoint, but can't finish. And then the game against Colorado, you know, you have a really kind of lackluster second period and you don't pay too much of a price. You come down, come out of the period only down a goal. You kind of undo what you did in the first. And then in the third, you go down two, but then you battle. I mean, they outshot them 15 to six in the third period. They were coming the whole period uh, right till the final buzzer, but just not enough. And again, the inability to put the puck in the net, only two goals scored, is what bites them in the ass in that game. Yeah, and I, I think that you're seeing a lot of the players kind of ex- succeed in their specific roles. Like, you know, I even think the defense has looked really good. Like we talked about Rista or Cam York really injecting some life in there. I think Nick Sealer is starting to fall off a bit. And I would expect that he's a guy that probably comes out when D'Angelo's ready to return to the lineup after he's done dealing with wherever he is. And, you know, like, I just put out some analytics with Provorov and Ristolainen, but they've looked really good together, man. Like, as a top pair. Again, I'm not going to sit here and say that's a long-term fixture as your top pair. I'm not ready to write that home already. But, I mean... I don't know if we'll ever be able to write that. You know, it, it is what it is now. It's the best option right now. But if you're going to be a team that competes, that can't be the option with Risto there. No, 100% not. Like, I just, he's not a guy that I trust to, you know, and he's had a good stretch. Honestly, Mm -hmm. like since being scratched, he's put together some real good games. The last five games in particular, he's put together, put together a really good effort and really good underlying numbers. But it's just not something I trust, you know, like I think there's a big enough track record here to say that he isn't a top pair defenseman. But I think you've seen Travis Sanheim really start to play well. Justin Braun, I think. I know a lot of people shit on him, but I think that he's done his well, you know, admirably this season. And once D'Angelo comes back, it's going to be interesting. Like, I would imagine that you probably put D'Angelo with Travis Sanheim. You put Cam York with Justin Braun and then Sealer comes out. That's the way I would go about it. And then even at the up front, like, they're just missing that top end talent there that i mean can't cash in and i mean you saw it against the arizona coyotes too where i thought they just flat out ran into a hot goaltender and maybe carter hart wasn't at his complete best i'm never gonna throw shade at carter hart after the season that he's put together but i don't think he was at his top level game against the arizona coyotes and all in all i just think this is a team that is really playing good fundamental hockey is in every game is not getting blown out and like you said after last season it's really refreshing to see like last season became unbearable to watch. And I think that this season at the very least is watchable and they're likable group. It's just, they, they simply don't have the talent. I said this last night on post game, you and I were texting a little bit too. And I, I, I texted you and you, I said, if this team plays with the effort and resilience, they, when they have some talent, legit game breaking talent, and I'm not saying they have to have Connor Bedard or Connor McDavid, but when they have, legit talent and some depth, you know, through their forward lines. Um, if they've continued to play with this effort and resilience, they're going to be a bear to deal with. And you said the effort level level is insane. Most I've seen since the Lavi days, that's the early Lavi days for sure. 
And you said if they had a legit top line, they would be dangerous. And Torts has them really playing unbelievably hard. I think the job that he's done, like I get the record and sports are about results. But when you're throwing out what he's throwing out there and has had to jump over, throw over the boards and, you know, combine, you know, can you imagine day game towards looking at his available players and trying to come up with lines that are going to score? It's really difficult going, how do I put these pieces together to get some offense, which is why he moved Hayes to the wing. And he has Kate's there as the conscience for that line in the D zone and, and lets TK and Hayes generate offensively. But they just keep pushing and they just keep pushing hard. That's why I don't think the bags should come out. Now the fans can do whatever they want. I'm never a person that tells a person to buy a ticket or not buy a ticket and how to spend their money or how to voice how they feel about a team. But to me, this is this team isn't anything to be embarrassed about as constructed. Now you can talk about being embarrassed about how they're constructed and criticizing the front office for how they got to this position with, not having high-end talent, that is totally fair. But the way to – the bags, to me, need to be an indication of what you see on the ice and those players. And that, to me, that would be unfair to the guys that are putting on the jersey pretty much every night and going out there and spilling it. Yeah, and that, I think that's something that you really have to differentiate. Like your, I guess, vitriol towards the front office and the direction – Church and state amp. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like I like I have my criticisms at the front office, although like I've been saying since June, I think that they fell into a good place, even if it was accidental in a lot of ways. But in terms of the actual team and the coaching staff, and to be fair, I don't think anyone really hates the coaching staff right now. Like I think after Torts gave those series of press conferences, what was it, two or a week or two ago, I think he really won over the fans because he said what people have been clamoring for for what feels like a year now. But it's still, you still get the people that want to direct the hate that they have for the front office towards the team. And I can't really do that. And even like the players that are playing right now, like there's not a lot of guys that I can nitpick individually and be like, okay, yeah, you're not meeting expectations or you're not doing what you should be doing. If anything, it's a bunch of guys that I think that are overachieving. And again, like this isn't me saying that they're going to turn a corner or, you know, Frost is now a top line center or Ristolain's a top pairing defenseman or what have you. It's just be like analyzing the game objectively and saying, given what they have to work with, they have exceeded my expectations, even if they're in the basement. Because if you factor in that there's been no Cam Atkinson this season, no Sean Katori this season. It's objectively one of the worst rosters in the NHL and probably one of the worst forwards groups specifically in the NHL. And they're competing every night. Like I think the last time they left, they lost by more than two goals was against, was it Washington? And that included two empty net goals. Like that was the four one game. It was a two, one game, but yeah, there was two empty netters. It's just that there's not a lot of games here where it doesn't feel like they're out of it right at the end of the game. And look, I'm not here to, you know, champion moral victories and say, oh, yeah, good for trying, you guys. Like, get after it next time. But at the same time, I can't really dunk on a team that we knew wasn't really built to be a cup contender this year. And B, is missing a lot of talent. Yeah. You go all the way back. Let's go back even to the Calgary game. There were two empty net goals in that game. They lose 3-2 in Washington in overtime, so one goal lost. Pittsburgh game 4-1, 
totally earned. They were down in that game. They scored the one third period goal. That was a shit game. Uh, against the Islanders, the first game on the island, two empty net goals they gave up. Then they beat the Islanders three to one. They lose to Tampa, and Tampa just overwhelmed them in that game. So legit loss, multi-goal loss. Against New Jersey, one goal loss, 3-2. Against Colorado, they win 5-3. Against Washington, they lose 4-1, but again, two empty net goals. It was a one-goal game. Against Vegas, they lose in overtime, obviously a one-goal game. Against Arizona, they lose in overtime, a one-goal game. And against Colorado last night, they're down 3-1. They come back, they make it 3-2. It's a one-goal game. They're playing tight games. They're not mailing it in. And I said this last night. I mean, if you go back to like the 14-15 season, 15-16, those years, after Chief left, and if this coaching staff is here and he's got this resilience and this effort level and this buy-in to structure and everything, that team over that those three years from the 14-15 to – 17, 18, even maybe 18, 19 with the talent they have would have been a team that would have went on a run. They just didn't have the buy-in. They just didn't play like this uh, under those coaching staffs, whether it was hack or whoever. Yeah. Like I remember 15, 16, they went on like that miracle run the first year of hack in March. They won like 19 of 23 games. Ghost came up. Exactly. Very. And Steve Mason had that crazy run in March of 2016. So that was really cool to see. And look, they didn't have good defense back then for sure, but 17-18 in particular, and look, like they traded Braden Shen, they rolled with Valtteri Filippula as your 2C, Dale Weiss and Yori Laterra were on their third line, their top four included Robert Hag and Andrew McDonald, but like, so it wasn't like they were a cup contender on paper either. But they had high-end talent. You had Giroux, who was one of the best players in the NHL that year. You had Jake Voracek, who had 88 points or whatever. You had Sean Katoriev, his breakout year. Wayne Simmons was still a relevant, you know, top six power forward in the NHL. Ghost had 65 points that year. Yeah, and I think that, yeah, that's when him and Provorov were playing really, really well together. So, I mean... You have a team back then that I think a lot of it still was talent-based. Like, it wasn't that they had this incredible, like, on-paper roster, but they also didn't have a lot of buy-in. And that's why, like, I wonder if – and I'm not blaming those guys for it, but I wonder if it was just desperately needed to move on from Giroux and Voracek Mm -hmm. just because those guys had been so conditioned to a losing culture – and been through the the Hextall years and the Hackstall years, and then the year under Jeff, or not Jeff Gordon, uh, Scott Gordon. And then by the time that Chuck Fletcher and AV, and even after AV had shown up, they just didn't have it anymore. And I think that this season has been a breath of fresh air, even if they're losing, because at least it feels different. It just completely feels like a different vibe for this team. And it feels like really turning over a new leaf. And it's not to say that they're, you know, going to go on a run for the Stanley Cup this year or even next year. But it finally feels like they're building towards something new as opposed to going back to the well repeatedly with the same group and the same mentality that was just losing year after year after year, save for eight, 17, 18, and 19, 20. Yeah, that year they ended up going 42, 26, and 14 under Hack, finished third in the Metro. Um, that was the 102-point the season from Drew. Like you said, Voracek had 85 points, 20 goals, 65 assists. Couturier, 76 points that year. Uh, Ghost with the 65. I mean, look at that, these point totals. TK, his first, uh, I think, of three 24-goal seasons, he had 47 points, 
Simmer with 24 goals that year in 75 games with 46 points. Provy had a 41 point. They're getting so much from the blue line here. Um, and, and, you know, Philpula gave you 11 and 22 for 33. It was Nolan Patrick's rookie year. Even you had depth guys like Raffle and you had Scott Lawton on that team and Gudis on the blue line for a little fear factor. And then, you know, they get into the playoffs. And, you know, I didn't even remember this, but in the five playoff games that Coots played, he had nine points. That's where he got hit by Ovechkin, I think, in the shoulder. Wasn't that the wasn't that when Gudis took him out in a scrimmage or something? <laughs> Was that that year? Yeah. I yeah. Mean, he, had, he had five goals and four assists in five playoff games that year. And nine points in just five games. Philpola had three, and you know, Drew has the <clears throat> 102 point season. But then people, you know, in six playoff games, he had a goal and two assists and ended up being a minus 10 in the playoffs. But if that team had half the resilience and com- commitment to le- the level of play and standard of play that this team has, things would have been different for sure. I think so. I, I, you know, those years were wasted years because you actually had the top end talent back then. Like Giroux was a top five player in the NHL at that point in time. That year, by the way. That yeah. That was the, that Hall won it. Yeah. yeah. And then Kopitar, I think was a finalist too. And, you know, you had Voracek, who was a true stud top-line player at that time, like a really good transporter into the offensive zone. And you had, like, a breaking out Sean Couture. You had a Wayne Simmons. Like, I don't think Hexy did them any favors by trading Braden Chen. I still think that was a mistake to this day. Mm-hmm. But you now are seeing a team that's kind of the opposite, where you have good depth pieces. You have a defense that I think, you know, is specifically over the last five games is playing pretty good hockey is far from the issue on this team or the main issue at least, but you don't have anyone who probably should be on a top line. And I mean, maybe save for Travis Konechny, depending on who his other line mates are, but you look at their top six and I have nothing against these players individually, but guys like Noah Cates and Scott Lawton or Lucas Sedlak or whatever, shouldn't be anywhere near a top six, let alone a top line oftentimes. But, you know, you're at least seeing the effort. You're at least seeing good fundamental hockey. And the amount of times that a team with Giroux and Voracek, with how good they were, or and even Sean Couture, you could throw him into that mix too because he hasn't played in, what, 13 months, mm-hmm. were getting absolutely blown out of the fucking water, really kind of speaks to... Maybe it's not even a talent thing that was wrong with the teams back then. It was a mentality thing. And you look at what happened specifically in the 2020 playoff bubble, where, you know, you go into that bubble as the hottest team in the NHL. And it's not like you got there and everything just you couldn't click. They literally won the round robin. They beat Tampa. They beat Boston. They beat Washington. They legitimately are playing well. And as soon as the playoffs actually started against Montreal, everything just fell off a cliff. And you beat Montreal by the skin of their teeth. You get embarrassed by the New York Islanders. And had the goalies been swapped in that series, it maybe is a sweep. And it just, since that happened, I said, like, there's something completely fucking wrong with this leadership group. Because when you have guys like Giroux and Voracek and Couture, you should not be this bad. Strictly effort-wise. And I think now that we're maybe starting to see that that was more of an issue than maybe we thought. Yeah, I mean, you go back to that series 
against Montreal, and they end up in that play-in round playing their way past the Pittsburgh Penguins. So technically the Penguins didn't make the playoffs that year, by the way. Yeah. Because they didn't actually that, – that was a play-in round. It wasn't a playoff round. That was a cash grab by the NHL. But, I mean, they do beat Montreal in that series in, what, five? Six. Was it six? Yeah. And, and Price was otherworldly in some of those games, so they got goalied. Um, but it didn't look the same. The, the style of play didn't look the same. And, and we come to find out that, that that Montreal team is maybe a little better than a lot of people thought because they go to a cup final the next year. And then it all just completely fell out. The bottom fell out of, of the coaching staff with who was it, Dom Ducharme, who took over there for Claude Julian and the whole thing. And, you know, you get in that series against the Islanders. Yeah, the Flyers force it to seven. They go down three games to one. They get an OT winner from – Phil Myers of all people in what game five was that? I think yeah. so, or game six. Yeah. And then yeah, I think seven, it was game five or six. Yeah, then in game seven, it was they had nothing left. They lost four nothing. But um, you know, I was on the post game show with, with Smitty last night. Actually, before we get to that, let me let me talk. Let's talk about the Flyers D because I've seen you tweeting quite a bit about this, and and I agree with you in the sense that there's a lot. Some of the pieces here are good. They have not been injured really on the blue line, with the exception of. Obviously, D'Angelo dealing with whatever he's dealing with right now. And I think part of that was playing too many minutes. And then it was a pseudo healthy scratch. I'm not sure why he's continued to miss games or how they kind of piece things together when he does come back. But there's a lot of questions on how to piece this together because we don't feel like D'Angelo is a top pairing guy unless he's playing with Jacob Slavin, which they don't have. Even though Provorov has been, been solid and can play a lot of minutes. Risto's been on that top pair. I don't know that I love D'Angelo playing with Sanheim. You have York up now and playing really well. Where does he fit in? They had him on the right side last night um, playing on that second pair with Sanheim, and I thought he looked good there. By the way, balls move on his offside and doesn't play a lot of right D to make that move at the blue line to create that first goal. Um, Very shifty move. Looked like Ghost is a guy that used to do that a lot, shifty along the blue line. And he looks really good, but I'm just not sure how all these pieces fit together when totally healthy. I I think you've got to make some kind of move because they, it depends. Do you want to play York on the right side? Is he a partner for Adder when Adder gets called up as a right side guy? You know, Braun's going to get traded. He's not a long-term fix. I don't know how it all shakes out there. I still think you need one, one more piece there and you got to shed a piece as well. Yeah, well, for me, I think that you take Nick Sealer out whenever D'Angelo comes back. And I think at yeah, this point... Seven. He becomes your seven, for sure. He becomes your seven. I think he's played admirably, but you've started to see his play dip a bit, which is fine. I have nothing against Nick Sealer. I just think it's time at this point. But I think that what we have to see here is a kind of path towards some more stability going forward. I would play him on the left side with um, Justin Braun for the time being, and I would put D'Angelo with Travis Sanheim because I think that what we've seen here is Sanheim's game really start to pick up as he's played with a puck mover like Cam York. I think Sanheim's game is playing really well or is trending in the right direction, rather. And as for Provorov, I think that he's played really well with Ristolainen, specifically defensively. Like, his game is really cleaned up. Look, we said it earlier. I don't think that's a long-term fix going forward, but right now that's the best of what it is. 
And I think that Provorov historically, maybe save for the year that he played with Ghost, has always been best when he plays with like a steady Eddie type of defenseman. And that's historically not been what Rosmus Ristolainen is. But you look at Ristolainen over the last, what is it, 19, 20 games or so since he got scratched. And unless you're talking about a guy like that is generating a lot of offense, like he used to be maybe in Buffalo on the power play. Now he's completely different. Like he's averaging the lowest shots against per 60. He has the lowest expected goals against per 60, not including Cam York. That's only played three games. And they're slowly turning wrist into this like defense first, low event type of defenseman that has allowed Provorov to not have having to worry about everything in his own end. Because I think with D'Angelo and Provorov, it started off really well and they were generating a lot of offense. We were seeing a lot of kind of high event, you know, cowboy hockey out there where you never knew what to expect. And from Provorov's standpoint, we weren't really accustomed to him being so loosey-goosey in his own end. The thing is, I do like Provorov with a guy that can move the puck up the ice quickly as well, though, because I don't think that's a strength in his game. Yeah, he's a guy that can carry pucks out, but making that pass, his handle sometimes is a concern. Jared uh, messaged and said he's a great talking about York. He's a great fit on right uh, as a right handed D. Wish they would have developed him uh, in there in Lehigh. Drives me crazy. He's their best option to play with Proveroff internally. Now, we saw those two together last year. and I thought that they did play pretty well in, in games that meant nothing down the stretch. Um, you know, I, I do would worry about cam york defending top lines of the opposition on his offside um going forward i'd prefer him on the left side i think he's obviously more comfortable the way you handle an attacking rusher is so different uh because of the stick positioning playing as a left-handed shot on the right side stick in the middle of the ice it's hard to string a guy to the outside so i I would prefer him on the left side but i'm all i'm down for seeing him there I know you got to go in a couple minutes, and so I want to hit this last thing for you um, because Smitty and I were talking last night, Brian Smith on post game, and I, I told our producer to write it down because he had the pinnacle of his broadcasting career last night at you know, 45 years old because he, he made this statement that we're talking about the effort of the team and everything, and he said that, you know, come March 2023 when we get to the trade deadline, the Flyers at that point, are going to be dealing from a, quote, position of clarity. And I just, I, I thought about that and that statement, a position of clarity. Now, that's probably 30 more games or 30 in. You're about 60 games in at the deadline. And we're gaining clarity on some guys now. I think we've gained a lot of clarity on Hart. I think we're gaining about 80% of the clarity we need on guys like Travis Konechny and guys like Noah Cates. There's still guys we need to gain a lot of clarity on. I think we need to gain a lot on Kevin Hayes despite the points. I think we need to gain more on Cam York and Ivan Provorov and Travis Sanheim, who's playing much better. But 30 more games in, they should be seeing a very clear picture and attack the deadline from, as Brian said, a position of clarity. You should write a whole article on the position of clarity on the fourth period. I just love this statement. No, that's very well said, because I think that this year was about figuring out what you had internally in a lot of ways. There were a lot of guys that you had to figure out if they were going to be here long term 
or they need to be shipped off. And that went for veterans, you know, middle-aged guys, prospects, what have you. And I think you've been starting to see that. Like, I think we could already say that there's some prospects that maybe we thought had good ceilings that probably won't be here next year. Like, do you think Tanner Lazinski is a long-term fit on this team? Probably not. I have maybe. a question about Wade Allison because, again, he's not available. Exactly. Like, Wade Allison, to me, like, this clock is starting to strike midnight. And it sucks because he, yeah. what I think, when healthy, is a really valuable player on this team and could be a solid fourth, maybe third liner. But if you can't play... Well, you can't be part of the long-term fixture. and But on the flip side, you're also looking at a lot of these veterans. Like, I think they have a very interesting question on D, like you just talked about. Like, how is everyone going to fit, especially with the way Cam York is playing? You know, when does Adder jump up? Like, now I'm curious to see what they would do with a guy like Tony D'Angelo. Because I don't, I, I think that he has value here, but I just don't know if he's the right fit here. Yeah, because I think York too is another piece of this D equation. You know what I mean? Yeah, where does he fit? He's been up and down like a toilet seat. And and the last thing for you, I mean, there is one guy we're gaining some clarity on. We haven't seen him in a Flyers jersey, but I was talking to a guy on a Monday night that was up in BC and saw him play. Cutter Gauthier is shredding. Yeah, and I mean, the guy said he moves like Kreider out there. Big, can skate, can shoot, can snap it. Maybe we see him this year. They need him to fucking work out, dude. Yeah, yeah. no, he he's their ace, their whole... Like, I think Forster's starting to kind of turn a quarter down in Lehigh, but I think it's his skating that he needs to work on. But, I mean, look, I, Cutter Goatsy is 100% their ace in the hole. Like, if he doesn't pan out, like, they're in big trouble. Like, yeah. And I, they I probably... <laughs> and I think that they need someone even uh, in addition to Cutter Goatsy. But, I mean obviously super, super, super early on, but I think they kind of bet on the guy with arguably the highest upside in this draft. Yeah, and that's what they needed to do. Go do your hit. I know you got to go on TSN. Thanks, Thanks for doing buddy. this, brother. Be good. Yeah, talk next week. There he is, Anthony DeMarco from the fourthperiod.com. He's got a hit at 1130 on TSN. Uh, so got to get him out of here quick. And uh, make sure you read his stuff on the fourthperiod.com. Eric Dobb messages in, and well, let's go to a couple here of his messages. Let's start here. He said, Proby, York, Sanheim, Risto, Tony, Zamula pairing. I don't – I mean, you may see all combinations of all of these. Um, York and Proby did play well together last year, but I do worry about, again, York having to deal with the top – you know, York dealing with Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak. That, that worries me. And you get a line like that in almost every game. He said, trade deadline, JVR, Sealer, Braun, Risto, Hayes, go. Um, I mean, JVR is obvious. He's on an expiring deal. Sealer can provide some death. Braun is a guy that I'm sure will be traded at the deadline. Um, Risto Linen, I doubt it. I mean, you have a, a lot of term on that contract. And Kevin Hayes has years left. Unless you want to eat some of Hayes' salary. And I don't like eating salary for that many years. I don't want a, a, a cap hit against for multiple years for a player that I don't have. But but I get what you're saying. He said trade Coots too, let Allison go in the offseason. You can't trade Couturier. Nobody's going to trade for a guy that hasn't played in 13 months and is dealing with a back and is in year one of an eight-year contract. That, E, come on, brother. You're smarter than this. You can't trade Couturier right now. You got to think things through.
you can't just throw names out there and have it make sense. There's a there's a a GM on the other side that's not a fucking nitwit. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not trading him. We'll see what Coots if he can get back, what he is when he comes back, all those things. But again, like Brian Smith said on the post game show last night, another sixty games. Let me see when the NHL trade deadline is. NHL trade deadline. 2023 it's March 3rd will be the NHL trade deadline. It says, which is early from years past due to the COVID schedule, blah, blah, blah. And the Olympic break in last year's schedule, but March 3rd is the deadline. And by March 3rd, this team will be in a position of clarity. Eric says, I mean, in the off season, you can't, nobody's going to trade for Couturier in the off season. You're going to have to see a lot more E. I get what you're saying, brother. I do. But trading that many players is just so unlikely. He, we have to keep it in the realm of possibility. Like, if I look at the roster, like, I got this email from, where is it at? I got it right here, from a guy named Joseph DeAngelis. I read this on uh, Flyers Daily the other day, talking about and contemplating the Flyers players that are here now that are part of the solution and the ones that are not. And he put together four different groups of players, the players that at this moment, 30 games in, he did this, I think there's like 28 games that he feels are part of the solution based on torts, what he thinks torts wants, how he thinks torts wants to build and all that. His players that he had part of the solution were Hart, Couturier, Atkinson, Lawton, Konechny, Tippett, Cates, Delarie. York, Sanheim, D'Angelo, and Sealer. Now, I agree with some of those guys. Some of those guys are beyond this year and multi-year solutions. Obviously, I think so about Hart. Um, I hope Couturier gets healthy, and he is a big part of that equation. Atkinson, yes, um, as that veteran guy and a, a leader. Lawton, obviously, Konechny, I really believe, is a good fit with John Tortorella. I'd put a letter on his jersey. That's how much I believe in him. Tippett, there's still some question there. You know, there's some erratic play. We've seen some really good things from Tip. And a guy that can absolutely be a part of the solution just needs to even it out and get a little more consistent. Cates, if in the right role, absolutely. Coach loves him. He's a guy that every coach likes the way he plays, plays the game with a conscience. Nick Delare is obviously part of it as a fourth line guy. Cam York, I think the book's still out. Like Cam's played great since he's been called up. But and Torts has been complimentary of him. If we know anything about Torts, it's this. He does not offer praise if it's unwarranted. He just doesn't do it to praise a guy. So York's earned the praise that he's gotten over the last three games, and he's earned the ice time and the specific ice time that he's gotten. Is he part of the long-term solution? I think the team obviously needs to see more from Cam York and some consistency that he's going to be a guy that's going to push the pace and and take on – some of the the role that they need him to take on to push the pace and be aggressive as a defender and not a laid back player. Sandheim's been better of late, but I think there's still questions there. D'Angelo, I think there's obviously questions there. There's not a long term commitment to the player, just this year and next. And then Sealer, I think, look, they love having Nick Sealer there as a seven D when it's all said and done. Can you get something for him and move him? Possibly, but I mean, he's a he's a good player um, and a guy that'll do whatever you ask. And, and a good role model type player, but better served maybe to be a seven on a really good team. 
his potential uh, deadline trades. Uh, again, this comes from Joseph in his email. Uh, JVR, Zach McEwen, Justin Braun, Patrick Brown, and Lucas Sedlak. I agree with all those. And there's some chatter out there right now that Zach McEwen, he didn't play last night because he's dinged up, um, that Edmonton is interested in Zach McEwen. He could absolutely be traded in season and soon. Um, he has a list of guys here that he says are not part of the solution. And the list that he has is Hayes, Frost, Farabee, Wilman, Lazinski, Bellows, Provorov, and Ristolainen. Now, I think there's question marks on some of these guys, but I, I, I don't – why would Joel Farabee not be part of the solution? Joel's been a little erratic this year. He's also coming off a of neck surgery, the one that Jack Eichel had, and it's going to take a little time. I think Farabee, all said and done, when he gets his game back in order, is absolutely part of the solution. Matter of fact, he was a player that I said in the beginning of the year before the season started, a guy that Torts would absolutely love because of the detailed way he plays at both ends of the ice, the way he plays away from the puck. Frost, obviously, you know, he had the four-point game. He's been playing much better of late, but there's a, there's a huge question mark there. I don't know if he's part of the solution or not part of the solution. Hayes, can you move him? I don't – I think it's a tough ask to trade him. Um, him as a winger and driving offense and mitigating his defensive responsibility as a winger could be part of the solution. Uh, Wilman, I mean, Wilman, Lazinski, Kiefer Bellows are kind of inconsequential to me, unfortunately. Um, but Provorov from Ristolainen that aren't part of the solution, I don't know that to be the case either. I think you need to see more from both. And then he said undecided, Wade Allison, Zamula, Brink, Sandstrom, Forster, and Adderd. I think Forster is absolutely part of the future. Got to see what he is when he gets to the NHL. Adderd as well. They really like Ronnie Adderd, what he brings, not only as a player, like he's not going to be a top pairing guy, but he is a guy that comes with a great attitude, a toughness, and a huge booming shot. I could see him on PP2 and a right side third pairing defenseman. I could absolutely see that. I could see Forster as a power play guy taking advantage of that shot. Sandstrom, yeah, it's been a huge question mark. Brink hasn't played, so that's, a difficult one. Hopefully we get to see Brink this year. He did well last year when he's here. And Zamula is a big question mark too, because I'm just not sure um, how this D is going to fit together. Again, you know, a position of clarity. We'll get that coming up by March 3rd at the deadline and we'll see where it goes. But uh, there's a lot of questions still. And I think the one thing that we, one question that has been answered rather definitively, rather definitively, is that this team does play their ass off. And look, I don't know that they should get a ton of credit for that. That should be a given. But when you're losing games and you continue to just push, 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 it, it is an impressive trait. And it's a trait you need when you have talent as well. They can get some good talent in here and get some depth and play with this compete level and play with this resilience and identity. And they will be a good team much quicker than we thought. But the trick is, is getting that high end talent in here. It's not easy. There's not a, a high end talent tree outside the, the skate zone that they can just go out and pluck a couple guys off of teams that have it. Don't want to get rid of it. And if you want to obtain it through a trade, you got to give up something good to get it. Now, I think the team's in a position where it's time to take a little bit of risk and give up something good to get something good that, that helps you and, and make a good hockey trade. 
one that helps two teams? Do you look at a guy like Besser? You know, when you get into the offseason, do you look at a guy, you know, like Bo Horvat to help you down the middle? What's going to happen in the draft? There's so many questions. But come March 3rd, around the trade deadline, I'm going to put this this phrase on Brian Smith's headstone, position of clarity. It's his finest broadcast moment. So good job by Smitty last night on the postgame show. Um, all right, let's wrap things up on this edition of Bet Parks Presents. Everybody that uh, sent in questions and comments, if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, I think you can post those. Thank you. Uh, let's read one more from Eric. He says, team's on the right track, and Torts keeps backing up his players during press conferences. So these guys want to play harder. Totally agree with you, Eric. You know, that's the one thing about Torts that I heard a ton this summer and talking to guys that played for him is the way he has his players' backs. And you see that tweet that Dubinsky, that Doobie put out when the Flyers hired Torts. Oh, pray for the Flyer players. I don't know if that was tongue-in-cheek or Dubinsky just did not like playing for Torts, but most guys do. A lot of guys are pushing really hard. Just need to find a way to score more goals. In this league, it's a race to four goals. The team that gets to four first usually wins. Against the Flyers, though, it's a race to three because they have a hard time scoring more than two goals. You got to get a power play goal and two even strength goals for them to have success, and you can't give up a shorty. You can't have mistakes. If they're going to win games, you're going to look back in, in those 60 minutes. If you get to that final buzzer and they got to win, it's because they play, They didn't have huge lapses that they paid for. And that being said, I thought the Sandstrom was good in the game last night. I'm sure we'll see Hart Thursday in New Jersey against the Devils as they'll wrap up this four-game trip. And then this weekend, Saturday night, it's the New Jersey Devils. Um, for Friday's episode, too, I was supposed to do this with Bill on this week's Mondays with Melter. Didn't get to it. I'm going to text him and see if he can come on uh, Stick Talkie Live Friday. And I want to talk about Johnny Gaudreau and Alex Dabrinkit and the effect that they've had on their teams. Because a lot of people wanted those two players. And I get why. Both are high-end talent. Gaudreau, obviously the free agent, trading for Dabrinkit, and he can walk. But what effect have they, those two players had on their teams? I think you can make the case now that with a little bit of data that we have 30 games into the schedule, that the Flyers trading for Debrinket or signing Johnny Gaudreau would have been a huge mistake. I mean, look at their team. It's a team sport, and no individual player is going to fix that. Ottawa's in last place in the Atlantic Division. They've got some talent there. 12-14-2, and two, and Debrinket has not been great. 26 points. They're only one point better than the Flyers. And they haven't really been missing a lot of guys. Columbus has had injuries, for sure. They're 28 games, and they got 22 points, 10, 16, and 2. And they got the living shit kicked out of them by Buffalo. By the way, Tage Thompson, another three-point night last night, two goals and an assist. This dude's an animal. It's hard to believe that Buffalo's only got 28 points. They're in the seventh spot in the Atlantic Division of the Eastern Conference. Um Get the Bet Parks app. I'll be tweeting about the uh, Broad Street Boost a little bit later, so keep an eye on my Twitter. Um, hockey action tonight. You've got World Cup final coming. I know Argentina's in it. I don't know who else is in it. I haven't been following it that closely. I just saw a headline that Messi led Argentina to the final. You can bet on that. You can bet on all the football, college, and pro. Hoops, college, and pro. Same game parlays, live in-game betting, player performances. 
you name it, it's all there for you. It's fantastic. Easy to use, easy to navigate, open an account, deposit, fast payouts, grab the Bet Parks app. It's not just a great mobile casino and sports book. It just makes the games more fun when you're live in-game betting. You're flipping around going, oh, let me check, let me check in on Edmonton Calgary. Let me get a bet in here in the second period. Boom. You can do that right away. You don't have to be there before puck drop on every one of them. Uh, right now, all BetParks users can use the promo code Jason750, and that'll get you a risk-free bet up to $750, J-A-S-O-N-750. Terms and conditions do apply, so download the BetParks app today. You need to be over 21 and present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. And also swing by, great time of year, December, holidays coming. Swing by the uh, Conquerville Subaru on Route 202 in Glen Mills. Fantastic, beautiful, new state-of-the-art dealership. And check out their certified pre-owned inventory. Check out the list of incoming Subaru vehicles. And if uh, you buy a new vehicle, Subaru is going to donate $250 for every new car sold to one of five charities. The ASPCA, Make-A-Wish, Meals on Wheels, Nation's Parks, and Conquerville Subaru's hometown charity, which is the Namor's Children's Hospital of Delaware. December is a fantastic time to check out that beautiful showroom over 202 and Glenn's decorated too. Uh, check out the service department where you get a free car wash with every visit. You're going to love it. It's more than just a dealership. Great, great people. Again, over eight and a half years ago, I said on a commercial when I was working on the Fanatic, I bought my first car at Conquerville Subaru. My son will probably buy his there too. I got made fun of by Mikey Miss saying, your kid is eight. Well, he's going to be 16 in two days on Friday. I can't believe it. It's freaking me out. Uh, visit ConquervilleSubaru.com. I know my son's going to be visiting there as well. And check out the showroom over 202 in Glen Mills. And remember, that Concordville cares. Our lasting message and our last comment comes from Eric, and he says, great show, got to go. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate it. I appreciate everybody listening. You can leave us a beautiful, for the holidays, five-star rating and review. That'll help other Flyer fans and hockey fans find this podcast. And uh, we'll be back Friday with another brand-new edition of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. So, everybody, enjoy your Wednesday Flyers-Devils tomorrow night. We'll break it down on Friday's episode. So enjoy your hockey. We'll talk to you Friday on a brand new episode of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey. Live.